0: Thank you, for, Brother West, for the good message earlier in the previous session. I appreciate that. Brother Stanley Klein mentioned to me this morning, it's Brother Klein coming in with his wife here, um, that there is a need for teachers in Majuro, and you are out there representing the cause of missions, not just your own ministry. We know that. You're representing the greater cause of missions. And if you'll get with Brother Klein, he can share with you About it, We'll make an appeal tonight, too, or tomorrow night, one of the two nights, just to say we need people who can go and teach in Majuro to help at the Christian school where Brother Klein and Mrs. Klein gave many years to our Lord. And uh, there's a great ministry need there. Brother Klein, if you just everybody will know who he is and we'll ask you to uh, just get with him. All right. Take your Bibles, if you will, please, and turn with me to Second Corinthians chapter number five. While I did ask all the other men to speak on their subject, I asked me to speak on this subject. Then I complained to me, and then I was okay. <laughs> Figure everybody else says the same thing. I could say it too. Yes, and please, uh, <laughs> and I restricted myself. <laughs> and the thing is that when you preach to friends, they are all watching everything. There will not be one grammatical phrase that will slip by someone. The time frame, and you know, basically, I am reaping what I sow in those things. I recognize that as such. (laughs) Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? That is if you're physically able to and whatever. I didn't look anywhere. Verse 1, for we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan being burdened not for that which we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that... Whether present or absent we may be accepted of him for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We are made manifest unto God and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences for we commend not ourselves again unto you but give you occasion to glory on our behalf that ye may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. Through the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which should live, should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now, then, as ambassadors for Christ... We are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Dear Father, thank you for the preciousness of your word. Thank you for its truth, its purity, and that it's been preserved for us. I pray, dear Father, you'll empower me with your Holy Spirit this day as I preach to the people who mean the most to me in all the world, the worldwide family. And I pray, God, that you will meet needs from your word today. Use every man servant who comes to this pulpit. Use him to bless the hearts of our people, both those who will listen in person and those who will listen by audio recording. May your word go forth and not return void as it is promised for this I pray in Jesus' name Amen. thank you you may be seated Paul mentions twice in his writings in the New Testament the idea of finishing this course finishing the course is a daily activity as you live and serve the Lord we're talking about the same man who wrote in just the chapter before we are troubled on every side yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 4 through 10, he talks about impatience and afflictions and necessities and diseases and stripes and imprisonments and tumults and labors and watchings and fastings. You and I face things in the ministry that can easily shake our motivation. And as our motivation is often challenged day by day, there is no finishing the course without motivation. It is not generated by some guru on the west coast, east coast, or the north as well. It doesn't come from any factor that you might find on television, radio, or in books. The only motivation a child of God will have is, as we learned yesterday, when he knows his call and he knows the book and this morning as we learn he knows that he is committed we have a divine re- we have a divine relationship with a divine commission to carry out the task that God has given us yes. our motivation cannot come from external sources it must come from within external sources motivation are oft times challenged because they will waffle and they will waver. But when we deal with the motivation that comes from the Word of God and His Holy Spirit dwelling within us, we have a motivation that is steadfast, sure, unshakable. And it is this motivation to which I'd like to draw your attention in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. We know in the ministry, deputation, field, furlough, pastor, it doesn't matter. In the ministry you're going to face challenges that you'd rather avoid. In fact, you're going to interact with people that if you had the choice, you'd rather not. There are going to be emotions that you'll face that'll tempt you to quit. There are events that you will endure that can scar you, and if you dwell on those scars, you'll be ruined. There are mistakes that you'll make that can anchor you to the past if you dwell on those mistakes. There are fears that you will face that can hinder you. Yet we have to go on. When failure is imminent, when foes attack, when pressures build, when events fail, when brethren disappoint us, when people hurt us, when disappointments come that are and are frequent in their coming, when all is spent, when you face inexplicable moments, ours is to soldier on. Okay. Amen. Paul soldiered on. Yeah. Think about his writing. This one thing I do. None of these things move me. Nevertheless, the word of God standeth sure. So much as in me is, I am persuaded. Nothing shall separate me from the love of Christ. Motivation is the force that drives us. It is the reason that we have to continue. Yet in our circles of fundamentalism, we have found that people can be motivated by guilt, but that does not last. People can be motivated by greed, what they will achieve or what they will gain from doing, whatever it is, but that too passes. Others can be motivated by goals, but when those goals are achieved, they need a greater goal. Yet others will be motivated by emotion, but that is extremely temporary. It's far easier to be motivated by a calling than any of those things. Yet others will be motivated by a a position, I'm a missionary. I have to do that. I'm a deacon. I have to do that. I'm a teacher. I have to do that. I'm a pastor. I have to do that. But our position must not motivate us. Our emotions must not motivate us. Our guilt must not motivate us. Greed must not motivate us. We must understand that I have to have an emotion. I have to have a motivation that is far greater than emotion. What must be that, emo- that, that motivation that drives us? chapter 5, the chapter we read a few moments ago, I see four clear things that motivated Paul. It is absolutely foolhardy for me to stand here with six pages of notes in the 30 minutes that remain and think I'll get this done. I won't. But I do have six pages of notes. And I look at this and I realize it's just four things I really want to tell you. The first one is found in the first section of the chapter. Verse first, maybe eight, nine verses. Paul was motivated by one thing. Note what he says in verse one. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. Paul was motivated, number one, by the prospect of time with the Lord. He knew that if everything falls apart in this life, I will be spending time with God. This earthly shell will dissolve. But there is coming a day where I have a building made by God, eternal in the heavenlies. It is like the Old Testament prophets who stood and said, hey, we may not see the promise in our lifetime, but I see a city whose builder and maker is God. I know where I'm going. And the motivation for the child of God, when everything is falling apart around you, is to realize one day I'll have time with the Lord. It was a matter of confidence to it. Notice what he said. We know. Notice later in the passage, we shall not be found naked. We groan earnestly, desiring things eternal. Verse 8, we are confident. This matter of time with the Lord was a matter of confidence for him. Look, he face it, look at it this way. It's not about what's happening right now. It's about then. It's not about here. It's about there. It's about a time when then will be now. It's about walking by faith and not walking by sight. It's about absent from the body and present with the Lord. It's about a day when everything will make sense. But until then, we soldier on with confidence. Amen, sir. We do not draw back. If God inserted you into his army, soldier on. Our motivation has to be there will come a day where there will be time with the Lord. Demas failed by saying, I'd rather play now and pay later. Paul said, I'd rather pay now and play later. We must realize that Time with the Lord has to be our motivation that when you're done serving in some mud floor hut with thatched roofs or whether you're serving in a difficult place and where people don't want to listen and people don't want to hear and you're wearied with going to the next door to knock or going to the next house to visit it, and going to the next person and you wonder does it make any sense, will it make a difference? There will come a day when the earthly body is dissolved and we will be present with the Lord. Soldier on, child of God. Our motivation must come from the promise that we have, the prospect of time with the Lord. The second part of that, and that's just big point number one, is this. It's not just a matter of confidence but it was as a matter of his companion that the holy spirit of god was given to him and given to us as a matter of an earnest payment a pledge or a promise of return the holy spirit of god dwells with us and he is our companion in the midst of these difficulties in the midst of the tur- turmoil and tumults that we face realize this i am not alone I have been given the earnest of His Holy Spirit and when all else fails and companions are not available, we have a companion. Eternal. My heart was moved by many things, is moved by many things this week. But last night when Brother Fagali stood and said, there was a time when worldwide was the only connection he had with the outside world. I don't know about our staff, but I'll tell you this. I was deeply moved. I, I know your heart was full last night, Brother Fagali. been with you many times, and I know your heart was filled. But I thought about this, that even on our worst day, When none want to listen and none want to hear, and you've given everything you've had and you've evacuated everything from this world that you know here in America, and you've you've planted yourself somewhere else around the world and you feel like, does anybody care? I've made this commitment to Christ. I want you to know we have a companion. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. And when you get your fifth no or your sixth no or your fifth 500th no, and no one wants to seem to have you to come into their church to present the ministry. Remember, you're the pastors who are saying no are not your enemy. Repeat. <laughs> You've been divinely inserted into the army of the Lord, soldier on, and realize this, there's coming a day when everything will make sense and that day is when we have time with the Lord. Right. It ought to motivate you to continue. Yeah, man. Yes, sir. You I, my father spent many years in the ministry and his ministry influences appear every once in a while in my life. One of them is this. He would say, when dealing with discouragement, He would say this, John, we cannot afford the luxury of discouragement. Keep moving. I hated that statement. (laughs) I did not want to hear that statement. I heard it many times. And now what creeps out when I hear people talk about discouragement The same phrase, it's ingrained. Do the temptations of discouragement exist? Yes. But we don't have to succumb to them. We will spend eternity with God. Time with the Lord ought to motivate us. Well, you're not listening fast enough. Let me go to the second one. Paul continues to write. Verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive in, in his, the things done in his body according to that he hath done whether it be good or bad knowing therefore the terror of the Lord we persuade men We are made manifest unto God and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. The second thing that motivated Paul, I believe, was as you've figured out the terror of the Lord. Not just time with the Lord, but the terror of the Lord motivated Paul. He realized this. The idea of terror is... uh, The root is the word phobia. It's where we understand the phobia of the words, how it's transliterated today in English. People will have fears. I can think of John. We took him, when I was pastoring in, in Alabama, we took him to the Atlanta Zoo. And we took him by the different places and he was having a great time. We got to the snake cages. When, I mean, we're talking about, this it. is before we came with Worldwide. He's three and a half. We took him by the snake cages and I lifted him up, Pastor Wingard, when I could lift him. And... And I held him in front of him. I said, look at the snake, John. I said, look at this one. And then the snake moved toward him. Behind the glass, but it moved toward him. He was done. He was ready to go to the house. I developed the phobia in him. So strong that he would not look at a magazine that had a picture of a snake without terror. I have a fear of food. (laughs) I whipped it. (laughs) Paul said, I know I'm going to have time with the Lord. That motivates me. But then I think about the terror of the Lord. And I get this fear within me. And I know that I will stand before him. This is obviously the context is the Bema. And, and, and uh, we, we understand that there is this appearing at the things done in the body, good or bad. We'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And Paul thinks about that time where I will give account to God. And after I give account to God, I get a deep fear within my bosom that says, I must persuade men. I must make myself available. Change my position and get to where men are. I must proclaim. I must preach. I must persuade men. It ought to motivate you, yes. the terror of the Lord. Oh, we're comfortable this morning. We are. I mean, really. In an air-conditioned place, pews. Many of you would do many a... You, you would kill to have this auditorium on your mission field. Right? The air conditioning, the sound system, the classrooms. You're thinking, there's no amount of support in the world that could afford this. We, we've got it good. And it's easy to become complacent. And when you feel like I've lost my motivation in this thing, may I remind you, ma'am, sir, may I remind you, it's not just time with the Lord that ought to motivate you. It's the terror of the Lord. I will stand accountable before God. It's like telling a fat man he's got to stand on a scale and look at the number, that'll scare you. Some of you are smiling and you're laughing because you're skinny. But if you had to stand on the kind of, and see, you know, when you've gotta get a scale that has multiple digits to accommodate yourself. The other day I drove a truck to the dump, the landfill, and we had to pull, I'd pulled, I was on in John's Ranger's little truck and I drove it up on the truck scale and I thought, they said, we're gonna weigh you now, and then we're gonna weigh you when you come back through. And I thought, you know what, maybe I could get an accurate reading if I just got out of the truck now and just simply say, weigh this, and then I'd know precisely what I weighed. Well, we came back and the garbage was about, well, my garbage and the weight, never mind. (laughs) But the point is this, is that you can't hide the truth. You look at that number and say, wow, how many people were on there? And then you stand before God. And how long did you live on earth? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the souls for whom you are directly responsible for bringing to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ are how many again? I'll say, I know the terror of the Lord and it scares me. It creates that phobia says, I don't want to stand before God empty-handed. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Number three. Paul wrote, verse 13, 14, For the love of Christ constraineth us. In Acts chapter 18, verse 5, the same word, is used pressed in the spirit. In Luke chapter 8 verse 45 the same word is used that the multitudes had thronged him. Paul would later use this phrase again in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 23 that he was in a strait betwixt two. The idea of being constrained is to say that you are pressed in and moved along Almost involuntarily because of the fact that the pressing around you is so great. And when we talk about the things that motivated Paul, it was not just time with the Lord. It was not just the terror of the Lord. But number three, it was the tenderness of the Lord when he realized, hold it, God loves me. And because he loves me, that moves me. He was constrained not because of guilt, but because of God's grace. He was not constrained just because of force, but because of forgiveness. He was constrained not because of his position, but because of pardon. He was not constrained by popularity, but he was constrained by a passion for God. This one thing must constrain us. If you are being moved along by anything else, you're guilty. You must be constrained by the love of Christ. It's what will move you when nothing else will move you. When you wake up that morning and you realize, He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. This I know. He gave himself to die for me because he loved me so. Oh, talk about how much you love him. Fine. But that isn't anything. It's how much he loves us. While others in the church will be constrained by their position and seniority in the church and popularity, emotions, or perhaps even urgency of the moment, Paul said, one thing constrains me. I feel thronged by the love of Christ. I feel pressed in the spirit because of the love of Christ. I feel like I'm in a strait betwixt the love of Christ and the love of Christ. What is the love of Christ? It's clearly his abandonment, what he left. It's his acceptance, what he got. It's his atonement, what he paid. It's his adoption, what he did. And when you focus on what he left and what he got and what he paid and what he did, that ought to motivate you out of bed. It ought to motivate you to make your calls. It ought to motivate you to get to the next door. It ought to motivate you to prepare the next message. It ought to motivate you to do whatever it is God called you to do. The love of Christ. Time with the Lord. The terror of the Lord the tenderness of the Lord. Are these the things that motivate you? Anything else is is a pseudo-motivation. It's a temporal motivation. It's manufactured by man. If anything, it is synthetic. Reality is, I think about how much he loves me, and I think about one day I get to spend time with him, and I think about that I'll have to stand accountable to him, and it moves me along. If the wind that fills your sails is the wind of trouble, you will be shipwrecked soon. But if the wind that fills your sail is the motivation that comes from Scripture, time with the Lord, the terror of the Lord, and tenderness with the Lord, your vessel will sail on. Amen. Amen. You will make it. You will survive. But if you're trying to fill the sails of your ship with every other kind of wind, it will be failure. But the motivation that has to come to finish the course, we're talking about course finishing decisions today. What will motivate me from start to finish? What will motivate me the entire journey? Time with the Lord. Terror of the Lord. The tenderness of the Lord. And lastly, the task of the Lord. Note, if you will, please, verse 18. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now, then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. Paul was motivated by the task God gave him. He was given the task of reconciliation. That is to say, to bring men to the saving knowledge of Christ. God could have chosen anyone, but he chose you. What a powerful thought. Could have picked anyone and said, I I want you to go to Malawi, Africa. I want you to go to Spain. I want you to go to Ponte Ukraine. I want you to go to Canada. I want you to reach the world for Christ. Get to Japan. Go to the Middle East. I want you. Could have said that to anybody, but he said it to you. What an opportunity to be given the ministry of reconciliation. And not just the ministry of reconciliation, but the message of reconciliation. It is a message that must be preached. It must is a message that must be proclaimed. It's a message that requires you positioning yourself to get to some destination in the world to proclaim the very message of Christ: that man does not have to live estranged from God and at enmity with God, but there is hope, there is a payment, there is atonement that has already been made, and mankind without Jesus Christ will die and go to hell. And that message of reconciliation must be distributed around this world that man does not pay for sin on his own nor through the tradition of some sort of world dominated church. It is done by personal faith in Jesus Christ. This is the best thing going on in the world. We've got this ministry. I mean look you sell vacuum cleaners you're going to have to wait for the next model to have a better feature to sell next year. If you sell auto parts, you're waiting for the next model year to come out so you have more parts. We've got a plan that never needs an upgrade. We have the best information to get out there, and it's free. We need agents of the gospel to dispatch to the four corners of the world to fulfill the task of the Lord. We have the message of reconciliation. We have the ministry of reconciliation. Third, we have the method of of reconciliation, we are ambassadors. Not the com- not the college, but the commission. We're okay with the college too, but we're ambassadors for Christ. What is an ambassador? He's a minister of the highest rank, employed by a prince or a state at the court of another, and managing public concerns in another place. That's us. Dispatched. Agents, citizens of heaven, bearing the message, representatives of heaven. I saw Brother Messer's presentation the other night. I was privileged to visit with them. If you want to know how to have a great welcome for a representative of the mission coming to your mission field to visit, and you want to learn what to do and what not to do, Andy and Becky are full of things of what not to have happen when Brother O'Malley comes. Fifteen minutes after I land, I'm at a funeral. And I'm sliding down the hill to the gravesite. I broke furniture in their home. If anything could have gone wrong, it was there. They have plenty of stories to tell and they shouldn't tell any of them. But I brought them into this because of this thought. I've watched Andy's ministry and Becky. and God has used them. And and their presentation failed in this one thing. They didn't tell you the whole story. There is so much going on there. And God is using them greatly. Came back and I told Brother Danny, I said, this is a model ministry. This, these folks are doing a great job. Learn from them while they're here. No matter what level of ministry you are, and we're, we are not in the business of elevating one missionary, but another, I'm not doing that at all. We're just simply saying, here's a good model. Good example. But I look at this and I realize, I think about the street where your uh, church is and the road from, well, some would call it a road, I guess. But uh, the, the path <laughs> from your house over to the church And I took pictures of this where the rut is bigger than the path. And this thing, and you you look at it, you say, really? An embassy of heaven on this street? But that's what they've built is an embassy of heaven. And that's what you've built. And you're the ambassador. And you stand in that pulpit. You are representing the the, the kingdom of heaven. And you are a subject of that kingdom. This world is not your home. That that street on which the path, the thing from the house and great bread though. But, but that path down that, the, the way from their house over to the church. You'd look and say, really you put that here, huh? An embassy of heaven. Usually the embassies are in the beautiful street of the capital city. And there in a little... City tucked away from everything else in the country. They're by themselves over there in San Pedro. There's an embassy of heaven. Brother Bosserman, I got to see the pictures the other day of where you've moved from a basement dwelling church to a street level church, but it was just as much of an embassy when it was downstairs of, the, I guess, the post office and all of those shops down there. And you moved up. What a blessing to see, but it was just as much of an embassy when it was downstairs that it was upstairs because you have been placed there. You were placed in Riviere de Loup. you were placed there in North Bay and God has placed each of you in places around the world and no one may know how to spell the name of your country nor the city to which you've been called. They may not even know how to point to it on a map. But you march into that embassy and the ambassador is in residence and you represent the citizen of heaven and you represent the kingdom of God. Stand in your place, proclaim the book And realize this, you are motivated by where you are headed and what you'll face and what he forgave and what you're to do. You are motivated by the promise of time with the Lord, the terror of the Lord, the tenderness of the Lord, and the task of the Lord. Father, thanks for these moments with these dear folks. It's a privilege to serve people greater than yourself. It's a privilege to esteem these folks. Peers in the ministry, I thank you for them all. Help us to remain duly motivated. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Because of the kindness of the former speaker, you have three extra minutes for your break. You're at liberty to go. This is the 30-minute snack break.